Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just wanna thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map, starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, Angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. Hey guys, and welcome back to Digital Artcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in for another episode. It's really great to have you all here. Um, um, I'm hoping wherever you are in the world or whatever you're doing, you're staying safe and of course you are being creative as always. Um, and I'm hoping that these podcasts, these conversations are something that can help you get through dark times, good times, creative times uh, and everything in between. Um, again, you know, today we have another amazing guest. Um, someone that, you know, I've noticed through socials was... Uh, someone who had a legacy in the industry and uh, you know a real <laughs> setup of some amazing uh, projects that he's worked on and I thought you know um, we usually have 
um, you know, some of the young bucks on here who are, are just kind of fresh-eyed and ready to go in the industry, but someone maybe who was a vet, I think would be another good perspective on how the industry works. And today we are talking to Craig Stitt. So hi, Craig, how are you Hello. doing? Hello, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Awesome. Hope, hope I can answer some questions and give some insights. And some yeah, history. yeah, definitely. So we were kind of talking before we started recording, uh, just had some kind of banter and back and forth. And, uh, you know, we were talking about your, your time in industry and kind of how many amazing projects um, you've kind of touched in the, the time you've been an artist. Um, you know, everything from Ratchet and Clank, which we were talking about, which is one of my all-time favorite franchises. Um, you know, Spiral, um, many, many other games. But then you go even kind of further back than that um, because you were also working uh, with Sega at one point and you worked on, um, you know, titles for them, um, stuff like Comic Zone and Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, that's that, that was um, pretty incredible. Uh, the, the, I, I, well, I got the start in the industry. It never crossed my mind to go into the games industry. This, this would have been early 90s. Yep. And, um, well, because, yeah. And I was was doing computer graphics, but it was really kind of boring stuff. It was pie charts. Right. And occasionally something kind of artistic, but it was a lot of text and pie charts for business meetings. Right. And uh, I get a call. My, at the time, I was married and was complaining mm. a lot about work. And so <laughs> I'd come home and my, my wife at the time would have the one ads out from the newspaper and have stuff circled. Yeah. And she actually called me one day. Mm -hmm. She goes, I found your job. I found your dream job. Right. And it was an ad in the newspaper saying wanted video game artist and game designer, no experience necessary. Oh, okay. Wow. I'm like, Oh, okay. You never see that um, now. <laughs> no, you don't see that now. And well, you didn't even see it then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it was Mark Cerny. Um, oh, wow who uh, had was, was, was starting the first internal development team for Sega of America. Okay. So prior to that, stuff was either third party or being done in Japan. Right, of course. He, this was the first in-house development team in the United States. And so he was going to be bringing some artists. He was going to be people over from Japan. Right. But hit the the Americans on the team. He wanted people from outside the industry. Right. He wanted to train people to make games the way he wanted to make games. Right. And no experience necessary. Right. So, so he would do all the kind of lifting and shifting for you guys, and you would just kind of follow suit. Yeah. And so, um, and uh, so yeah. So that that was you know just in somewhere I still got that little piece of news clipping. <laughs> I can't find it though. I know I kept it. I keep sick, yeah. But well, that must have been really interesting as well because now Mark Cerny is such a huge name in the industry, oh, right? Yeah. It's he's he's incredible. Um I haven't talked to him in years, but he's one of the few people that I would you know, I would I would come back to the industry to work with again. Right. Yeah. Um, he's he had he he's he, almost a superpower mm -hmm. where he can look look at something look into the future and see what needs to be done right so that's relevant by the time you get it done that's specifically true if we when we get talking about spiros his his suggestion yeah. about spiro yeah, yeah. is, so is you, why spiro is successful yeah so you were so you when you took that first job was 
what was your kind of first project or the first kind of thing you were kind of the very first thing i worked on was kid chameleon for the genesis classic yep um and so actually i, I don't have any tattoos <laughs> am i getting one midlife crisis <laughs> or something and it's one one of the ones on my short list of what i want to do mm-hmm. is the little the knight from kid chameleon because that was right, the yeah, first yeah. character i ever did that was the first wow. video game art i ever did and that was pixel art, obviously, at the time. Oh, yeah. Pixel by pixel by pixel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's something I think people today don't really appreciate. No. I mean, Photoshop is a whole thing now where you have a million brushes, a million colors. Yeah. You don't, yeah. You don't worry about, you don't even, you don't worry about colors. You worry about memory, but in a very different kind of way. Yep. Um, yeah. You literally had eight colors or 16 colors. And yep. 32 pixels by 32 pixels, not 3,000 pixels or 48K. Yeah, yeah. You had 32. <laughs> yeah, wow. Incredible. I mean, it's weird to think about the limitations even back then because I think about, you know, the early days of even 3D. Like, and, you know, now with ZBrush, with Maya, with a lot of those programs, you know, you know, polygons are a thing of the past almost, especially with Unreal 5. I mean, people can put almost their high polish straight into the engine and it's crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's it would be interesting as well just the transitions just from yeah the pixel art into the 3d when you when mm-hmm. we started doing when, once we did with disruptor we're kind of jumping ahead here but yeah, yeah of course yeah the 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 leaps and bounds just between between each game was huge yeah, yeah. i mean and you think so, how far the game industries came since the early 90s you know you're only talking a space of maybe 20 years yeah and you know, now stuff even with like VR, AR, like, you know, I, I find it crazy because we look back at the, the start of the film industry, right? And back in the, the 1920s and how far that's come in 100 years. It's, it's crazy to think how, you know, you know, give 100 years, like, where would we be? In, and Oh, scary. yeah. Yeah, scary. So you done Kid Chameleon. That was your first gig. First, and that was all. First, awesome. first game was Kid Chameleon. Yeah. And um, one of the fun things back on those old games. Mm-hmm is you could look at the screen and go, I literally touched every pixel on that screen. <laughs> yep. You the know, environment, the characters. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, you know, cause there was, there was, there was like four or five artists working on it, but you could have a section where literally, okay, I did those enemies and this is one of my environments and right. literally everything on there is mine. Yep. Um, where now the teams are bigger and everything's huge and you're doing, you know, you have people doing, well, you're doing the grass you're doing right. the rocks and you're doing the trees and you're doing yeah. this set of enemies yeah this this portion of this animation for this set of enemy but yeah um yeah so we, we did kid chameleon and then um very fortunate break um so what's and funny funny interesting story about the the very first time i ever saw sonic mm-hmm. uh, we're working on kid chameleon we were hoping mark was hoping mark cerny mm-hmm. was hoping that um, we could create the mascot for Sega because um, Sega was looking for a mascot because they okay. needed something to, to go beat up on Mario. Right, of course. And so we were hoping Kid or Kevin, mm-hmm. or whatever his name was. Um, <laughs> and we got this, we're, you know, I can't remember how far along in the game we are. Mm-hmm. And we get this early playable version of this game. Mm-hmm. And it's Sonic. And so mm-hmm. we, we all go into the conference room and we play it. We play it for a few minutes and it was beautiful. Yeah. We played it for a few minutes and put it down, and went back to work. Right. And sometime a few months later, or a month or two later, we get, we get an updated version of it. 
Mm-hmm. We go in and play it. Now we're fighting over who gets the controller. Ah. The, and the in my mind, the only thing I remember, the big difference I remember was on the first time we played it, it didn't have the the ring splash. Right. So Spyro's running around. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. The character is great. His little idle animation. It was like, oh, why? Why did that's awesome? Why didn't we think of that? Mm-hmm. Um, great character. Beautiful backgrounds. But it was fun. But it wasn't addictive. Mm-hmm. Jump ahead. Now the ring splash is in there. Mm-hmm. Now we're fighting over who. Hey, hey, it's my turn to play it. Yeah. Um, and at that point, also we went, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is Sega's new mascot. This is yeah, yeah. Um, but then, then uh, fortunate things happened for um, you know for me at least mm-hmm. is like I said, uh, Mark had started STI Sega Technical Institute, right, with the intent of having Japanese come over from Japan mm-hmm. and and uh, then taking some Americans mm-hmm. and sending them to and sending the Americans to Japan and doing right. this this kind of cross pollinization. Right. Um, so the Japanese could learn kind of the American mentality and mm-hmm. the Americans could learn Japanese mentality. Right. And no Americans, we never, we never sent anybody over to Japan to work, but we did mm-hmm. about half the team at STI was Japanese. Right. Well, one of those people was Yasuhara. Okay. Who was the lead designer on Sonic. Right. And I'm not sure what Sega was thinking when they did this, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they didn't realize Sonic was going to be Sonic. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Naka, the lead programmer, quit Sega, and because he he just he he's kind of arrogant. Right now, he's one of those people that kind of earns it. He really right. is that good, and mm-hmm. so I, I'll cut him some slack there because he really is an mm-hmm. incredible programmer. Right, um, but he quit. And mm-hmm. Sega's realizing, okay, well, we don't have not we need Naka and Yasahar is in, in America. Mark mm-hmm. Cerny was friends with Naka. Mm-hmm. And he convinced Naka to come to America. And he wouldn't directly be working with Sega, he'd be working with Mark at STI. Right. And so that's how we got the lead programmer and the lead artist for Sonic in the United States. Hence Sonic 2 was done in the United States. Right. So, um, so therefore, my second game I ever worked on was Sonic Two. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So that that was that was a huge, you know, you know, a, a very fortunate, incredible opportunity there. Yeah. Some would say the best Sonic. It, I would I would make that argument. I I would I would I would be on that team. Um, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I would have to have to say that as well. Especially with the introduction of Tails as well, I think. You yeah. know, the mascot. Yeah, I think yeah. he was also. Awesome. The other guy that, that really pushed Sonic 2 over the top was uh, Yamaguchi, um, oh, who was yeah, yeah. an artist. My God, there's so many huge names. <laughs> you know, he's, like, yeah. He was a machine. He lived yeah. at the office, but he's the one that came up with Tails. Right. And his levels were just a notch above on everything, but he redid every he he would redo them like from scratch like three times until he got them right. Yeah. Um. And so he just lived at the office, and he once he had really nice guy to work with. Yasuharu was wonderful. Yasuharu, Mark Sarney, I'd jump, I'd go, come back to the industry to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, Yasuhara, if Yasuhara called and said, "Hey, Craig, you know, let's do something," I go absolutely. He's yeah. just he's just a very talented, very nice guy. 
it seemed like even funny how these people were not that there were nobodies but they just weren't maybe unknown at the time but now you know well yeah I, everybody was i mean was there anybody known then yeah i'm trying to think because there wasn't enough history yet to have name, yeah. Yeah. these people um it's crazy so, i think how now they've all branched off and done their own thing that's you know equally as impressive and led their own teams made their own games it's uh it's crazy to look back now and think how they had a really humble beginning and yeah. you know yeah nobody makes these games thinking they're going to be smash hits but then you re- you really you're really not thinking that even even on sonic 2 mm-hmm. so you know the first game's already already this huge hit yep and so you know well you're just hoping you don't screw up <laughs> right of course yeah because because you're being handed an a plus hit you know, you're right. being handed a world class title. And you don't you're want to fuck up. You don't screw it up. Yeah, of course. Um, but even then, you're not. It's you don't realize. Well, okay, so that was '92. Was we shipped that thirty mm-hmm. years ago? If right. you told me then, thirty years later, mm-hmm. we would be talking about Spire a Sonic, mm-hmm. and there would be two movies and there would be how many dozens and dozens of games and cartoons. And, um, I would have, you, the one, the one piece of advice I'll give to people, anybody's in the industry actually doesn't matter what your industry is. Mm. If I'll say if it's creative industry or any industry, right. archive stuff, keep stuff. Um, yeah. You don't know. And, and I was pretty good about keeping stuff. Hey. partially just because i like to keep it um mm-hmm. and i like to have it i like to have it i like to keep my art and, and whatnot mm-hmm. and so i have some stuff but you know but i didn't really keep track of some of it so i've lost a bunch of it right yeah i don't have any of my original sketches for uh kid chameleon yeah i had them my maps mm-hmm. i had the sketches yeah they got lost somewhere i mean um, it was interesting when uh disney bought lucasfilm and you know seeing tim schaefer go back and revisit you know the stuff he made back you know from monkey island and full throttle grim fandango day the technical and uh because obviously lucas had a really great archive at the time and someone who took that over when they went back to remaster the games they could go back and actually get the original drawings and sketches yeah. that they had done um but it's very rare you would find anything like that for it remasters. really is because it takes a lot of work it takes a lot mm-hmm. of work and consistency because you can save all that stuff like i said i saved all my stuff I don't have it anymore because somewhere I dropped the ball. Yeah. And yeah, you don't I think, you don't think about even stuff and stuff or yeah, it's, it's, it's very common because I think it's hard to keep your art so precious. I think sometimes, you know, depending on the memories you have with the project, sometimes you don't want to have the, the remembrance. You want to just move on to the next thing. Yeah. So well, you're, you're working, you're working so hard. You're working so fast. Mm-hmm. You don't have time you're just worried about making the schedule. You're just worried about doing, keeping the work at, at the level it needs to be and getting mm-hmm. it done on time. And you really, well, that's why you've got some places like Lucas. Mm-hmm. That's somebody's full-time job is archiving. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's you where know, they were lucky. If that's you left it up really to the artists yep. and, and the programmers, nothing would get saved because yeah. I mean, very little would because yeah. they don't, you don't have time. Yeah, it's, it's a whole movement now, video games preservation. There's a whole society now trying to fire up and become something like that where they will start to archive, you know, older games and keep them, you know, alive in, in some respect on the internet. Um, 
But yeah, like it's weird even thinking back to like how we do concept art now, right? Like I've got a bunch of books behind me that, you know, are the art of different uh-huh. video games and they're full of sketches and whatever. But when you guys were working on stuff like Sonic the two, you know, 2, when it was, you know, pixel art, were you still physically sketching in a sketchbook? Oh, yeah, pencil, pencil right. and paper. Right, um, right. And or, or, or pen and paper. Um, right. I always did pencil. <laughs> um, Everyone's got their medium. You know, I, I like to erase. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, no, it's well. That was one of the things just recently here that I didn't realize what I had right. was Yamaguchi had done a whole stack of drawings of right. different enemies, of tails, right. of the biplane, and right. I made copies of it just so right. I would have reference for stuff I was working Use. on. Yeah. Sonic. And I just recently threw that up on I think some Facebook page, mm-hmm. and people freaked. Of course, there is. Yeah. You know, some of it had never been seen. Oh, yeah, it's um, a piece of history. Yeah, because a lot of that stuff wasn't like it is now with the internet. However, everything's thrown out. You know, even with concept art with three D stuff, like art stations, a thing now. So you know, usually when a game ships and it drops, so many months after it, the artist will drop all their artwork on the art station, and you get to see all that. You know, fine uh-huh. detail of stuff they've worked on. But back then, the internet wasn't even really a thing. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was. I'm trying. To, I don't think there was a Photoshop. Mm-hmm. What? what no, yeah. Craig Mullins really started. Uh, not even Craig Mullins, sorry, beg your pardon. It's not Craig Mullins because he was at Lucas at the time, but it was John. Um, oh my God, the name is the name escapes me. It was him and his brother who were at Lucasfilm. At the, well, ILM at the time uh-huh. who invented Photoshop, and that was God. It would have been a like, yeah, late nineties, probably something like that, closer to two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think because the first. Well, I did. I was just learning. I learned. The early of the first time I played with Photoshop was just as I was leaving Sega, right? Um, so ninety five, right? And ninety was the initial release date, release date of Photoshop one point and it was yeah. John and Thomas Knoll Island yeah. thing. So ninety because prior to that, there was for the pixel art, there was no purpose of it, right? Of course. Um, and in fact, I remember. So I was just learning. I can't remember what I was working on it with mm-hmm. before, but then left Sega. And went down to Insomniac. The first game there was Disruptor. And right. So now I've got to learn Photoshop for real because that is how the art's being done. But I still wasn't, I was still in the pixel mentality. Of course. And so I'm like, well, how do we control palettes? And how do we, and all of a sudden it, it, all of a sudden it clicked. Like, oh, I just paint. Yeah. I just draw. Yeah. And like you would normally. Yeah. You just, you, I don't have to worry about anything. I literally, it, you know, it's you know it's, it, I have I I do have a number of pixels for this tile, right? But it's a hundred you know it's it they're big or they're hundred mm-hmm. they're hundred pixels across or hundred twenty eight or whatever, right? And but I I don't have to worry about palettes. I just yeah. Paint. And it was it was it, that realization was wonderful. So that was even a thing where you kind of jump from Sega to Insomniac. But how did that happen? So I yeah I, we did Sonic two. Mm-hmm. And um, somewhere in there, I pitched an idea um, to Sega for a mm-hmm. game called the, the work that was called Segapede or slash Astropede. It right. was initially supposed to be in the Sonic universe. Right. Um, it'd be this little badnik, you know, little 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 microscopic uh, centipede character. Right. That um, was actually a friend of Sonic's, and mm-hmm. and uh, Sega liked the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know the initial pitch liked it but they wanted to see a proof of concept mm-hmm. and 
they want they didn't want it in the Sonic universe. Right. So reworked the story. Never came up with a good story. <laughs> we did. We 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 worked up a first playable, not, right. kind of a proof of concept. Yeah. Um, which I'm trying to find the best way to get that out there, let people play it because I finally have a playable version of it. Yeah. Um, and I want to get it out there so people can see it and play it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. buggy as all get out, but it's yeah. done in I don't know three weeks or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so did that, but that and then Sega loved, loved it. Went mm-hmm. production, and then it got starved of resources and people, and right. it was canceled after I don't know, a year or so. But right. did Sonic Spinball, um, mm-hmm. Comic Zone, a game called The Ooze, which I don't know how that game ever got out the door. So many incredible games yeah. died on the shelf. Yeah. At Sega, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. And the I mean, comic zone especially, hard. like that's one of my all-time favorites as well. Like the whole jump so, between yeah. the panels idea, like yeah, way too hard of a game. <laughs> yes, very, very true. Yes, it's, it's almost <laughs> impossibly brutal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, fun concept. And then, mm-hmm. so I, I was, I had finally had it at Sega. Um, right. Was just tired of, I don't know, sixty percent of your art and your work ended up on the floor. Yeah. Um, ended up being cut. Yep. And um, was having problems with management. Was having it was just it was just time to leave. Right. And Mark Mark Cerny had left midway through Sonic Two. Right. And I heard he was start had a new group that he was putting together, mm-hmm. and so I contacted him. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was that was uh he was he was down here in L.A. Mm-hmm. and uh was producing was the producer for insomniac and right at that time they had never made a game right um it was just three guys the the, the two hastings brothers and ted price okay. and they needed an artist yep and so i came down and talked with them and it was just going to come back for just three months when i realized it was in la because at the time i had my, my son was six and i didn't want right. to move to la of course and it's like, well, bad. I wanted to work with Mark, and was was impressed by these, you know, by by, by you know by the three guys. And yeah. So came down just three months. I'm three months here. I'll help. Him, I'll do the artwork. Help him get this first game finished. Yeah. And um, yeah, <laughs> eleven years later, I'm still there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's how I ended up in L.A. It was basically I, I want I wanted to work with Mark Cerny again. Right. Um. Because there, there's no way I would have, if I'd even heard of, um, although at the time they were called Extreme Games, I, you know, there's no way I would have come down. It was three guys and never made a game. They were doing a Doom clone. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but Mark, you know, I wanted to work with Mark. And, and these, I, did, I, did, I did really get a good vibe off these guys when I first met them. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, the Somniac, I mean, now, obviously, is... You know they do incredible things and make incredible games and they have yeah. a long history of, of making stuff but it's always weird when it you know those places start it's just two people on a dream you know and yeah. it's the same for even places like Naughty Dog at the time as well right because you know that was again two or three people and then just an idea but um yeah a lot of these companies came really far and are still around thankfully because yeah. um, a lot well, of well, and Insomniac and Naughty Dog very similar backgrounds I mean we, we shared office space for quite a while right um, a lot of code and a lot of stuff got shared back and forth Mark was the producer for both of us mm-hmm. um and so yeah but yeah so we finished we finished disruptor mm-hmm. and um it didn't do very well i mean it's 
my favorite review of it, it as far as the critics the critics loved it right <laughs> we got four and five stars and you know we got excellent ratings yeah of course um but we I didn't i don't know what the final numbers were it sold nothing um, all right okay. mostly yeah. because universal completely dropped the ball when it came to advertising advertising it right of course. They, they, they didn't advertise there was a couple of single page print ads for a month or two and that was it oh i remember the game yeah yeah i'm just looking it up just now i couldn't remember specifically but the the first person is sure yeah, like, yeah the so UI I, I, I remember going into the into one of the game stores mm-hmm. and going hey do you guys have disruptor and he goes oh what <laughs> this is the guy at the store yeah, yeah he didn't know what it was no the guy go it's on the shelf behind you there yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but it came, you know, two things. One, they didn't advertise. Two, it came out at the same time as Tomb Raider. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and then it also, the other, it was Tomb Raider. Um, and then the Doom port, which was horrible, almost on the original PlayStation. For the place, yeah, for the PS1. So yeah, of course. Yeah. Almost on the port, yeah, yeah. But it was Doom. Yep. So, of course. And then uh, one of the Star Wars, Dark, Dark Empires, Dark. One of the Star Wars games, right? There, yeah. there, there was actually a pretty good port, but it was yeah. still it was still. Hard was it one it. of the first person shooter ones, the kind of Dark Knight things or Dark Empire? Yeah, which one was it? it was it, yeah, first person shooter Star Wars. So it's yeah, Doom, Star Wars, and then Laura Croft. So we we timed that horribly. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so yeah. So but then um. Ted just says, "Hey, everyone, take a couple of weeks. Go off in your corners. Come up, come back with whatever game you uh, you think we should do next." Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Ted came back with an alien invasion game, if I remember right, which I think eventually became Resistance on the PS3. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Cool. Yeah. I think I'm not sure about that, but right. probably its earliest origin origins. Right. Um, and then, uh, um, uh, Al Hastings, Alex Hastings, uh, did, uh, it was an off-road racing game. Okay. Because in Disruptor, the, we were on the Martian dunes. It was just fun just to run over these dunes. You'd catch air. It was fun. Yeah. Like, hey, let's make a game out of that. I don't yeah. remember what Brian pitched, but I pitched, I came back to this little game where you were a dragon. Okay. And, um, in the original game, you would start out as this hatchling, mm-hmm. and you would each each level you would grow into a bigger and bigger and bigger dragon, right. and um, going to be kind of you know quite you know not 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 realistic but a, but a little, little more adult, a little darker environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you get to be the dragon as opposed to riding the dragon or slaying. Right. The dragon. Yeah. And so I pitched that. We all like that because there was mm-hmm. just four of us at the company at that time. Right. Yeah. Insomniac. Yeah. We pitched that to Mark. Mm. This is where Mark's superpower came into play. Right. He looked at it and he liked it. Mm. You need to make, he goes, I have two suggestions. Mm. Um, keep the dragon the same age because mm. sequels would be easier. Like, mm. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even considered sequels. <laughs> <laughs> and keep it cute and family friendly because right. by the time you guys get this done, and it's on mm. the shelf. The average age of the PlayStation user is going to be a couple of years younger. Right. Oh, okay. And so then we reworked it, and that's that was the you know their spiral. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's interesting to me even to think, Craig, because I I was thinking here that you 
like Sonic and other games that you just worked on it. I didn't realize that the original idea was yours. <laughs> yeah, so- Sonic, uh, Spyro, of all the games I worked on, mm-hmm. Spyro's the one's near and dear to me because he it, the, the, the core, the original idea was one I pitched. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so he's, 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 yeah. And it's like all the other games I worked on. Um, yeah. You know, the Sonic games, yep. Ratchet and Clank. Yep. Um, if I hadn't been there, yeah, somebody else would have done the art. Of course. You know, maybe it wouldn't have been as good. Yeah. Maybe it would have been better, but it, yeah. the art would have been done by somebody. Of course. Had I not been at Insomniac, there mm. you would there would be no little purple dragon. Yeah. Um, I think how influential that little purple dragon has has been over the last that, twenty years. I mean, that's a little surreal to me. Yeah. Like just the other day, right now I'm working at a children's museum, right. which is, I love, and I, ha- I have a little Sonic and a little Spyro pin on mm-hmm. my hat, and yeah. this young couple comes up and says, "Oh, I love your 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 Spyro pin." Mm. And I get talking to him. I go, well, I have to brag a little bit. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like that was their game. You know, yeah, growing yeah. up, um, Spyro yeah. was their game. I know so many people who started with, you know, it was the simple stuff like Spyro, Crash, Croc, uh, mm-hmm. loads of those games that were the mascot, a animal, you know, um, animal human kind of hybrids. But yeah, Spyro's. I mean, the remaster was really, really great. Um, and I think it definitely it's good when those things get updated because yeah, a lot of those older ones don't age well because you know you were obviously limited at the time of the technology. So well, we yeah. I mean I remember we won all the awards and all these accolades for the best graphics, and you go back and you watch it now, and it's just you're painful. like oh yeah, rough. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the are sliding around, the textures are sliding yeah. around. And... Even the fact when they concepted out the new one, how uh, you know you would go to save the dragons originally, every dragon was the same that you save. Uh-huh. Um, but then now they've obviously every dragon's different. They've all got their own personalities, their own quips. They carry different items. Yeah. Um, and that's what comes with time and patience, and obviously remastering and stuff like that. Really I, I was, um, yeah. Uh, Toys R Us did a good job with the re- with the reignited series. I have uh, two complaints. Mm-hmm. One, Which valid. yeah. <laughs> the worlds are a little bit. Actually, three complaints. The worlds are a little busy, just because you can't yep. put stuff everywhere. Yep doesn't mean you should put stuff everywhere. Yep. Um, and they made some color. Ch- you say that, uh, there's a few palette changes in the world that are just like, why? Yeah. That's a, that's a minor one. The only one that really bugs me though, is spirals the wrong color. <laughs> oh, interesting. He's very fuchsia in the reignited series. Yeah. He's like a dark purple almost like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a blue. He's a little, he's a bluer purple. In 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 the original games, right, it's almost yeah. pink. In in the and I and I remember when I first saw the trailers, I went, mm-hmm. okay, well that's that's a work in progress, right? Or it's the lighting and it's like no, that's that's it. so I actually wrote Toys for Bob. Okay, well, hey, you know I know this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. but I painted, I chose and painted mm-hmm. the original textures for Spyro. Yep, <laughs> I chose his color. Yep. So yeah, it's my opinion, but you know, the interesting thing is, is, is Spyro wasn't always purple. Right. Um, he was originally green, and like, as you mentioned, you know, Croc. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you mentioned Croc, and mm-hmm. at the same, so we we got him up and got him playing, mm-hmm. and very quickly realized that two things: one, you spend a lot of time running around on grass. <laughs> yeah. 
Of course. And two, there was Croc, there was Gex, there yep. was Yoshi, there, and I'd swear right. there was another one. There were green reptiles, mascot-type characters. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I put together a videotape of Spyro in every color I could possibly make him in. And uh, the, the purple kind of stuck out. Yeah. The purple was the one that worked, which yeah, it's, it's, you know. It's hard when you pick these colors thinking back now, but, you know, how could you have Spyro in any other color but purple now? You can, it's almost impossible to think about him being anything but purple. And uh, but it complements it really well because obviously it has that um, almost, well, it's yellow, but kind of gold accent where, you know, his mm -hmm. horns, his chest and his wings are all that kind of complementary. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when you look back at it now, but then, it, I mean, it's weird to even think, you know, if you'd kept that sketchbook from that project like we were talking about earlier with all those initial Spyro uh -huh. drawings. I mean, God, you know, I, 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 that, that's one of the things I did manage to keep was I have that videotape. Oh, okay. Now, once again, mm -hmm. when you're cranking through the stuff and you're in a hurry. Of course. The first few colors got overwritten with another animation test. Right. Because you're just reusing. Here's a tape. We, yeah, we don't need this anymore. And you tape over. I need a tape now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still have that tape. Now, it is a 25-year-old videotape, VHS. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's all, I need to find someone who's got the right hardware software to, to right. clean it up. Yeah. And, uh, but I've, I've got, in fact, I've got a YouTube, my, my, my little YouTube channel with like six videos on it. Um, yeah. It's got, it's got, he was actually very interesting. Um, blue. Right. Um, he looked really nice in this kind of brick red, you know, well, this kind of dragon red. Yeah. Uh, but back then on the old TVs, the reds just blew out. So red wasn't an option. Mm. He looked really good black, but once again, he just you lost all detail. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's, it's crazy. I think looking back in that production, how many things happened that people that you know about. And I remember there was some, a a really random fact that Stuart Copeland done some of the music mm. for Spire of the Dragon, yeah. Yeah. which was crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah. To think well, about it. So so much stuff came together for Spire. Having Stuart Copeland Copeland do the music mm. was awesome because the music in it is great. Oh yeah, uh, that little thing was a did, like that whole thing that yeah, like it's like you can remember it because it's as it's the way it's produced. It's it's like even the Sonic, you know, like it's it, everything's kind of just ingrained in your memory. Um, but it's it's good when people kind of write those weird catchy tunes. But yeah, somebody like Stuart Copeland, obviously, if people don't know Stuart Copeland, is the drummer for the Police or was the the police, yeah. And uh, oh. yeah, crazy, crazy how people got into making video game music. But yeah, I mean. <sighs> So you done Spyro, and that would have took. I mean, I'm thinking now with game productions, they take five to six years sometimes. But how much time so did the, you have? So, to do? So, so the first Spyro took two years. Wow! Um, and then after that, it was a year each. Okay, right. So the yeah. first game so took crazy two amount years. of short time to think about now. The yeah, modern the first, and stuff. Yeah. The first, yeah, the first, the first one was two years, mm -hmm. and then Sonic Two or Spyro Two um, mm -hmm. took a year, and mm -hmm. then Spyro Three took another year. So right. you had to hit Christmas. You, you could not miss. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's as big of a deal now with the no, way. No, people just release games when they're ready pretty much. Yeah. Everything is delayed so and pushed back. Back then, if you, missed yeah. Chris, if, you, if you missed Thanksgiving, you had to have that on the shelf in the stores before Thanksgiving. Or Christmas, 100%. I think because... So before November, as I say. Yeah, yeah, no, I was gonna say, The was Americans gonna say, here Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it was. I think it was mostly because back then, video game consoles were very much for kids and 
the idea that was that they would be getting the consoles for Christmas and games for Christmas. But now, because video games is you not know, just for kids, you know, people are pretty much well at releases yeah. when it releases. So well, and that that was starting to transition by the early two thousands. Yeah, when so you came in, you had kids. Bank. That, you know, you, you, your, your group. Mm-hmm. Well, it went both ways. Like mm-hmm. so Mark pointed out, by the time we got Spyro done, mm-hmm. the average player on the PlayStation One was going to be younger. Right. But people don't stop playing games. Right. If you grew up playing games, mm-hmm. you most be a lot of people continue to play games. Mm-hmm. So they played games into their twenties and into their thirties. You now you've now got forty year olds who grew up playing video games and they're yep. still playing video games. Yeah. So, um, so that, that, that's one of the things that changed definitely. Yeah, I mean, I still go back to those classics. I mean, re- replaying Spyro and many other games like that. And even when the remastered Crash, you know, loads of those games that you played as a kid, the love for it's still there. Um, I mean, they've still remastered Ratchet. Well, no, they've remastered Ratchet and Clank old ones, but you know, there's been newer ones, of course. So yeah. maybe they don't feel the need to remaster those ones, and they're not that old that maybe they feel the need to be done again. But um, even something like Jack and Daxter, I'm just waiting for the day for that to come back as well because it was a very it, beloved it, it franchise. Possibly will, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things we really wanted when we did Spiral that there just wasn't anything. There wasn't anything. Yeah. Was merchandise. Okay. You know, oh, of course. Yeah. I, I think they did a stuffed animal. Taco Bell had some toys. Right. But that was it. Nothing and official. I really wanted some t shirts and towels and hats and you know, toys. And it didn't happen. There's and a. Then, yeah. On, on, on you go. Well, but then, then jump ahead a few years. Yeah. And I'm walking through a store and I turn this aisle and it's Spyro down both sides of the aisle. Oh, of course. Yeah. Lunch boxes and t shirts and everything i'm like what but i get look like wait a minute that's not spyro but that mm-hmm. is spyro and it was mm-hmm. skylanders of course and yeah you know it, they, they took poor little spyro and beat him with the ugly stick because <laughs> <laughs> but he was still spyro and yeah. it reintroduced I, I i will give i will i think one of the reasons spyro it, we're still talking about spyro today of course is skylanders that yep. reintroduced him to a whole new generation of people, yeah, um, of kids and people, and so um, that and that, that that just kicked it back off, and and it's just taken off again now. Of course, no, hundred percent. I was going to say that there's a figure company, uh, I think somewhere in Malaysia called uh, First for Figures, and they have done a spiral statue that I've always looked at, and it's a. Uh, it's yeah, just maybe the one I was looking at, the, yeah, does a nice job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, I mean, it's huge. It's absolutely massive, but it's him standing on top of a, a jewel with his paw on a jewel. Um, but then it's like, uh, it's so well done. I mean, they've done a bunch of figures with Spyro now. They've done a, a, a whole range of, of stuff with him. But um, yeah, like I think it is one of these things that people are realizing. I mean, back when Lucas done his original pitch for Star Wars, he knew that the money was going to be in the toys, right? He That was yeah. a whole thing he knew. It was going to make people want to spend money with the merchandising. Yeah, so um, I think for games and Mario, obviously they they capitalized on that early. But then Nintendo were a toy company originally, so it made sense that they would see that potential. Um, but then other places, you know, maybe not as much, especially with PlayStation at the time. Because even then, back then, like there was a whole fight for who was going to be Sony's mascot, and I think yeah. then Crash kind of won that in a sense early it was on. Interesting, we. It kind of did, but then at the same time, about that time when there was 
they decided we're not going to do the mascot thing. Right. And they went with just the four symbols. Right. They went of course. With the brand. Because I remember, um, so it was the E3, electro- the entertainment, Electronic Entertainment Expo. Yep. In LA. Way back Actually, in the, the day. First one was, the first one for, for Spyro was in Atlanta. Okay. Um, and then, but I remember like the next year, or maybe the year before, anyway, we're here in LA and you go up and there's a huge convention center downtown LA. And here's this three story tall banner of Crash. Um, right. And I think, you know, that, that, yeah, at that time we were working on Spyro because I remember looking up at that going, okay, next year, that's going to be Spyro. And because that was the big difference between Disruptor and Spyro is Disruptor Universal was in charge of all the publishing and distributing and everything. When right. We pitched Spyro. Uh-huh. Uh, Sony went, we want that. Yeah. We're going to advertise that. We're going to do the ones pushing that. So instead of spending $10,000, they spent $10 million, you know, wow, um, or whatever the numbers were. It, it, it was about that big of a difference. I can imagine. And so, but then, so I was all excited because I really was expecting the next year to have this, you know, three-story banner. And the next year is when Sega, uh, Sony decided, okay, no, we're just going to do the brand. And they just pushed Sony. Right. And they, they did their four little symbols and their advertisements were much more sony oriented versus individual games which is i think was a good call on their part um yeah. i they could have done it the next year as far as i'm concerned i still wanted my big spyro banner yeah but, yeah i mean it's one of these things that you know again like you said you don't expect it to take off like it did but you know um i think even then back then spider was almost um i'd done well but it wasn't as hugely received yeah yeah, yeah but it, now, it good but it you know it, yeah it, it 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 built um yeah over time yeah word of mouth one of the interesting things on spyro and it's because when mark came back and he says okay you know from that original pitch mm-hmm. and said hey um you know keep it keep it cute keep it family friendly we yep. ended up skewing a little younger than we planned right and a little cuter and but i think that that turned out to be perfect because it it was it, so we got an even younger crowd we got mom we got the moms right and and you know and but we didn't lose anybody it wasn't so cute that people went oh that's a kitty game right yeah um, because i i also answered all the fan mail at the time and <laughs> i would get letters from parents um specifically i remember moms Oh, you know, my daughter is stuck on this level or my son is stuck on this level. And Do you have any suggestions or hints? Yeah. And at the bottom of the letter, she'd say, by the way, I'm stuck on level such and such. <laughs> and then you kind of get, and go, by the way, you guys are horrible because there's no one to tell me to put the controller down at two in the morning. <laughs> right. Of course. And so you had parents playing the game. I mean, what kid doesn't, go mom dad come watch me play or mom dad come play this game with me right and it's usually boring to watch somebody else play a game right yeah most of these games were too complicated for a parent to just pick up and play spyro was simple enough mom it was he was cute so mom could sit and watch him play and it was fun mm-hmm. and it was simple enough she could pick up or you know the, the you know the, they could pick it up and play 
yeah. and they get addicted. And um, the race is necessary, really. I think that's also one of the reasons Sonic was so so successful is stupid simple. Yeah. <laughs> no complex. Easy. You know, it, you you had some more complex gameplay kind of stuff in there if mm-hmm. you wanted to, but you could just run. Yeah. And have fun. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of these things as well that, you know, again, you think after one particular hit, you don't think you're going to get hit on another one. But then, like I say, you've done all those games for Sega, which, of course, were legendary in the time. Then you hit Spyro, which you were almost the entire creator of. Of course, you had a team behind you and, and people working. But then you land on also Ratchet and Clank next, which, again, huge franchise, you know, still going today, movies, merchandise, you know, multiple games. Yeah, um, it's well, that that was a fun game to work. I I had, you know, as opposed to Spyro, I had no input on Ratchet and Clank. Um, right. And that that one came together quite. Well, actually, there was a game in the middle there, right, right. after Spyro, mm-hmm. called we never even got a title for it. it was Stick Girl. <laughs> okay. It was going to be beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. The graphics were. It was absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked on it for like eight months. Right. And. It after about eight months, um, Ted Price comes in and goes, "Okay, I've got good news and bad news. Um, the bad news is we're gonna we're gonna cancel Stick Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news is we're canceling Stick Girl. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't any fun. It, it right. just it did you know even if we'd finished it, it would have had this very niche market. Yeah, um, I mean we could have made it fun. It would have eventually been an interesting game, mm-hmm. but." And that's when it broke off. It's like, okay, what are we doing? And I'm not even sure. It seemed very quickly. Yeah. Rats and Clank came into existence and the characters, it, 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 it really seemed to fall into place. Was that another pitch where people were told to go away and make something and then somebody pitched that? See, I don't, I, I really don't remember. I, I, I don't remember going off and, and coming up with any ideas. Well, I had one little idea. Mm-hmm. But I think that's after I'd already seen some stuff from Ratchet, and I just—I right. eh. mean, initially I was like, oh, I don't you know, okay, what this, yeah. this it's not doing anything for me. So um, then you were working on Ratchet, but then what were you specifically doing on that game? For Ratchet, I, I was I was an environment artist, and okay, an artist and art director. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing on the Spyro games. So mm-hmm. so Spyro, I did the environments. Mm-hmm. I did all the skies. Right. Yeah. Um, which was a super. That's something I did not want to do when I first heard about it. It was right. tedious and horrible and did not like make it actual skyboxes. Yeah. Because they, they, when you first did them, they were miserably tedious to do. And right. Yep. Turned out to be one of my favorite things to do. Oh, well, that was uh, good. Because <laughs> Al Hastings, the programmer kept making better and better tools. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I could get fancier and fancier and more artistic. And so it right. turned out to be one of my favorites, but Ratchet and Clank, same thing. So I just, the environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so building, was this 3D this is 3D. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. Well, so you, yeah. you do the sketches in 2D, mm. and and uh, you know then the, that process changed over time as right. to how much you know. Sometimes the game designers would initially the game designers said, "Here's the world," and mm. give, give you a, a textual a text write up of what the world is, and you would create the images to go with that the look. And it's then, interesting because that's I mean that is now two separate jobs, right? You have. 2D environment artists, you have 3D yeah. environment artists. Yeah. yeah. So back, yeah, back then, yeah. So the, yeah, back then, the, you know, the, the, the 3D artists were in fact coming up with the, the 2D sketches. Right. Now sometimes it's like a lot of the, yeah, no, it's, it, it, yeah, it was initially it was, we did, you did both. You do the mm-hmm. sketches and 
some of the some of the best stuff. Uh, John Farrito, who I'm not sure if he's still at Insomniac. I don't think okay. he was. Yeah, his his architectural sketches. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, his his style his style was Ratchet and Clank. That became because he a lot of his sketches are what most of a lot of the worlds were built on, and then everyone built off that look. Right. Um, so even some of my favorite levels that I did are based on his sketches. Right. Um, and so yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, it's building the worlds. Um, had very little to do with or nothing to do with enemies or gameplay and story and that kind of stuff. But it was a very, it was a fun game to work on. It was a style that was very natural for me. Sonic or Spyro, I had to work at. It was a softer, more painterly look that I had to kind of learn. Right. Where Ratchet and Clank was my kind of default science fiction-y kind of look. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to think as well, you know, how much influence you had in those games, even because the teams were so small. I mean, it feels like now... yeah, the big companies now, the environment team's like 50 people. I mean, it, it was magical. It was, it really was. You go back to Spyro and you go back to mm-hmm. Ratchet and Clank, the early mm-hmm. Ratchet and Clanks. Um, very small team. Well, the yeah. first Spyro was done with like 12 people. Wow. <laughs> um, That's an indie studio now. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's, uh, so yeah, when I started, yeah, well, there, there was, was, yeah, I think there was like twelve people on Spyro. And you were one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it started with it started with four. Yeah, and then we hired a couple more artists and a couple more designers. You know, one more designer and a couple of programmers and a set. You know, um, and that's not counting because sound. We you know that was all done externally at that point. You know, you yeah, and you've got producers and CEOs and money people and yeah yeah but, but um, the art team was 12 the actual people. development team the program programs artists programmers artists and designers yeah i think there's 12 of us crazy um but then ratchet yeah. clank the first one how many people i can't remember how many people on the first team but I, I you know i know by the time i by the time i left for those so right at the end of uh ratchet yeah. deadlock yeah i had was it 15 people under me doing right. just environments? Right. Um, was it 15? It sounds like a lot. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I, it's probably about right. I had more people under me than made the original Spyro. Yeah. Um, Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. And it's, 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 it, the, you know, the world's, it was, it's actually one of the frustrating things making games. And I'm sure this is true today. Of course. Of, yeah. No matter, you know, you, you finish a game and you, Finally, you've got it figured out, yep. <laughs> and you, you you get the system, and you you the, you got the pipeline, and everything's working right, and you know your tools, and you know your software, and then you go to do the next game, and it's all completely different. You know, either you've yeah. changed, you've you've gone from the PS whatever to the next PS system, or one hundred percent something's yeah. changed. It's like oh, I've got we've got it. You're just it's just all over again. Because games get to a point now where they're almost too big, and there's too much in it. You know, it's like games like The Witcher or, you know, other games that are, you know, three, four hundred hours worth of content. It's like you just can't play that much. It's almost like a job. I mean, yeah, there needs to be. Yeah, it's there's a balance there somewhere. Yep. But it's 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 what's 
a, a good example of scale of how much mm-hmm. bigger and this this is okay this and this is generations ago so this is the playstation one right if you took a large spiral world mm-hmm. it was about eight thousand polygons for the entire world of course and i think spyro was like 400 polygons i can't remember for sure but i know a big world our limit a hard limit was eight thousand yeah. polygons for the world wow jump ahead to ps2 ratchet and clank yep so i don't know if you remember this but it's for the first ratchet game it's metropolis yeah so you walk down and you walk to this arch and you're standing on this little platform and there's this big boulevard going down and then flying cars back and forth and these skyscrapers going down this big pyramid shaped building at the far end of the boulevard. Remember that, Bill? Yeah. There was, the, there was the train station that you're working your way to. Mm-hmm. That train station, the big pyramid building, mm-hmm. was eight thousand polygons. The one building yeah. was eight thousand yeah. polygons. The footprint of that building. Yeah was the size of a spiral world. Yeah. Crazy so, to think of it, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the scale there mm-hmm. um, and the amount of polygons and the amount of art and yeah. So. But then you worked on, so you worked on how many Ratchet games? Three? The first four. Four, right. Yeah. So the first four. One, two, three and Deadlock. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was, I was just, um, we were, we, you know, they, 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 they had started work on, on, on resistance for the, on the PS3 while we were finishing up deadlock. Right. And so we finished deadlocked. And at mm. this point I'm already starting to have the beginnings of my nervous breakdown. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which um, is unfortunate, of course. Really having a hard time focusing, really having a hard time doing and getting anything done. Yep. And so we finished ratchet. Mm-hmm. And I learned all the new software and all the new because everything completely changes going from the PS1 to the PS2. Yeah, so now you're I talking learned, next gen stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I learned all the new software for the artists for building the mm-hmm. worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, completely different system of building stuff. You're not building stuff really with polygons anymore. You kind of are, but not literally taking polygons and stitching them together. Is this like the era of like kind of Maya Max kind of things? I'm trying to remember. It's or ZBrush or stuff like that. Or, yeah, you you could start. Yeah, there was some ZBrush stuff. You could. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, but it was, it was you were you were able to do a lot more, and the computer would simplify it down and make it a game playable, an engine playable yeah. model. Yeah. Um, so I learned all the all that software. Mm-hmm. Sat down, taught my team, mm-hmm. taught the environment team how to do it. Mm-hmm. Sat down to do it myself, mm-hmm. and blank. Yeah, I I would sit there and just be paralyzed, not knowing how to make a box. I mean, literally, I was making a box. Mm-hmm. You know, a little little foot locker. Of course, couldn't couldn't, couldn't do it. Couldn't couldn't make the simplest decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, of stuff and just crashed and burned and yeah was was very politely asked to resign <laughs> <sighs> which is a shame because to think the history you had at that company also you know and how m- much you helped make those worlds that um, I, it's hard because you know my perspective is is my perspective it's very limited and mm-hmm. so i know what what i used to think and i i i'd love to know real answers here i at the time mm-hmm. 
and I'm still not completely convinced this wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. They had been wanting me to leave for several years. Right. Um, I, because I had, you know, when I first started there, I was, I was kind of the golden boy. Right. I already had several, you know, a couple of million seller titles under my belt. Yeah. And came in. And so I would, um, in fact, I remember on, on two different occasions having mm. to scare the crap out of me because I, you know, working on, on, on Spyro, I'd be behind. So mm-hmm. I'd be there at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night working, trying to catch up and Ted mm-hmm. would come and tap me on the shoulder. Hey, can I see you in my office? I'm like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm busted here because I'm behind mm-hmm. schedule. And mm-hmm. he pulled me into his office and go, hey, you know, Craig, we couldn't do this without you. Mm-hmm. Here's a 10% raise. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and that happened twice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of them was a 10%, one of them was like a six or an eight percent raise, just out right. of nowhere. Couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't do this without you. Thank you very much for putting that effort in. Mm-hmm. Jump ahead mm-hmm. and somewhere probably during Ratchet three or maybe even in two. I, mm-hmm. I, I should have left after Ratchet One. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, working along, Ted, hey, can I see you in my office? Like, yeah, sure. Go in and he says, you know, now I'm not, I'm not, I didn't flinch. I'm not worried now. Mm-hmm. And he goes, hey, um, yeah, you, you're, you've been late on a couple of levels. Um, if you're late on this one, we're going to have to fire you. Oh. And I'm like, oh. Well, it, it didn't register. It literally, yeah. I'm a little slow when it comes to that kind of stuff. Even right. Today, it's just yeah. like, if something's so, uh, so unexpected in my brain, it takes some time for it to catch up. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put some extra time in. So mm-hmm. I went to lunch, and I'm sitting at lunch, and all of a sudden I'm like, what the, did he just <laughs> fire me? Yeah. I mean, it was like a half hour later, all of a sudden something clicked. I'm like, what the? And I go yeah. back into his office. I go, did you just threaten to fire me? He's mm-hmm. like, yeah. He says, I was surprised you didn't react more. And I go, yeah, because it's completely out of the blue BS. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yeah. behind schedule all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the next level was metropolis for ratchet actually you know this this was ratchet one right this was ratchet one mm-hmm. because the next level was metropolis which right. was the level we had completely faked to pitch ratchet and clank to some yeah and we had just we completely faked that level <laughs> and now we had to do it for real People still do that <laughs> to this day. Yeah. Well, that's how you do it. That's because you, 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 you don't have the technology yet. You don't have yeah, everything. You, so you, have, yeah. you know, everything was forced perspective, and there was just it was all flat, and you just you, mm. you only move from this little area because everything is looking up. You know, and so I, I get assigned the next next level. I get after this dock of being fired, Metropolis, mm-hmm. and they roll the map out, and it's half again bigger than we've set our max limit at. Yeah. And I just went, no, this is physically impossible. You've got to cut at least a third of this off, if not more. It, it, I yeah. can't, this can't be done. And Ted just looks at me and says, no, you do it. You're going to do it. And I did it. <laughs> um, not only that, because at that point, we've got two artists on each level because the world's mm-hmm. just too big. Yeah. Um, but the artist I was working with was having a rough time. Um, right. He was going through some depression and anxiety and 
buying a house and all this other chaos. And so he was a wreck. And at the time I was not very understanding and I really wish I had been because I now know what I was going through. Um, but in the end it was fine because I ended up doing like 95% of the level. <laughs> and so now it's one thing where I can look at, you know, it's like, okay, there's that little pile of rocks over there. Yeah. He did that. Mm. Yes. This is mine. Yeah. I remember Ted looked at me when it was all done and it was playable, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're good. You know, your, your your job's not on the line anymore." So, when you left, I mean, you talk about, you know, now unfortunately, you know, I mean, and you can talk as much or as little of this as you want, but you know, you talk about an almost PTSD thing we now where art yeah. for you is a kind of dead thing. You know, you've talked about just before we started recording how you're kind of just getting back into art. To the fact that you're drawing and painting again but for a long time you couldn't even touch I, a pencil yeah i i would sit the draw and it was just blank yep writer's block it was it was almost painful yep to try and draw try and be mm-hmm. creative um and just in the last six months maybe a year right um and part of that has to do with both people like yourself mm-hmm. and, 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 and talking to people and finding out how much my art has meant to people around the world. 100%. Yeah. And just talking to so many people who yeah. were affected and, and, and liked and loved my art. Um, I'm looking for it, something particular. Wait, keep talking. Keep going. Talking about art. I'm just looking. It's, it's it started, it started eroding away that 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 corrosive, wow, yeah, PTSD stuff. I I I I hauled away from the last year or two at Insomniac, and started to get my confidence back. And so, yeah, one of my one of my treasured books in my collection is this. And, I wish uh, I because I, I remember John Ferrito called and asked if I had any original art because I think there's only one piece of art of mine in there and it's a horrible piece I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't he, hate he, it. It's hard to see them, but you can see some of the, the early sketches and stuff. Yeah. So I would, I would, I, I wish because he asked me and I was a little afraid that if I gave them anything, I would never get it back. Right. And I don't have too much, but I've got, I've got some concept or some. <clears throat> some world sketches um yeah i mean like it's one of these things like you said it's it's hard to might even been hard at that point as well when the book was coming out because again you maybe still were in the midst of identity crisis you know ptsd yeah you weren't, you know, yeah so yeah, it wasn't it was very um even opening the sketch books might have been difficult for you you know what i mean it was it, yeah you know it was I, I can remember being in a you know comic book store Santa Monica or somewhere and seeing it. Like, oh, there's that one that John was talking about. And he's like, do I open this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like opening the Holy Grail at this point, you know, you're like, oh God, you, you know, know, like the yeah. And the government. Yeah. So I mean it's, it's it, I mean, I think it's it's difficult because we also talked beforehand about the difficulties I've had as well with depression and you know, trying to make it in the industry because it's it's fucking hard. Like let's not sugarcoat it. Now we can try to get in the games industry in this day and age is extremely difficult it's very, there's yeah. such a high bar to enter before people will even give you a, the first note of attention 
I've been lucky. I've been able to travel the world and network really well, so a lot of people know me. So I've had more advantage than others. But yeah, like it is a very rough industry. I know so many people who have left, burn out, um, and I almost quit. Uh, funny story, almost a week ago, because um, I was on a year contract with a company, and just uh, as the year was coming up to an end, they basically said, "There's no more work. Um, we're going to have to let you go at the end of this month." And uh, I was almost given up, but luckily. The network I had built of professionals and senior guys kind of rallied around me and said, don't give up, you know, you're so close, you know, don't take it as a defeat, you know, see it as like that happened, okay, on the next thing. And uh, it's hard, it really is hard, but then, you know, it, I'm glad that I had the, the, the community. But yeah, people like yourself, who were veterans, who kind of started the industry, basically. Um, it's almost a shame to see you at this point where, you don't want to do stuff anymore and there's so many vets now i think who are lucky who have kept the passion you know i remember watching a documentary about john romero and how mm -hmm. he's really kept you know a whole love of the industry and is, is maybe not making big triple a titles anymore but it's still you know making his own stuff and i think that's the the key i've seen to burnout is a couple of things but one thing i've seen that's consistent is that you have to have a life outside of your work if you can have a balance of having you know a hobby or an interest or doing personal projects so you're making worlds or games of your own outside of your 95 that's the thing that keeps the flame alive and doesn't really allow you to die in that sense because if it's just for somebody else constantly that's where the slow death comes because you're constantly fulfilling somebody else's fantasy somebody else's dream when, and you're constantly the, the the whole the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. which i had never heard of mm. until a few years ago yep and my sister my daughter-in-law mm. was um asked me about you know my time in the in, in the game industry and why i left of course and um I, I can't remember the conversation but basically she's the one that that, that says no no, no. What, what yourself what you're dealing with what you dealt with was was imposter syndrome yep was because the whole and i as soon as she explained it to me it's like holy crap because i can remember my first days at STI at Sega. Right. So we're in this, we're in this little tiny little office, you know, just and we're all seated in there and I'm like, "Oh crap. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing." Yeah. I I they're I'm they're going to figure this out and I'm going to get fired before I even get started. Yep. That never went away. Yeah. You know? That never goes away. Never. <laughs> and and it's, never. it's comforting to know everybody feels that at some point. 100%. Yep. And um and I think that's where that's where it snapped is mm -hmm. I've, I've never been able to do freelance artwork. Right. I just I I just shut down. Right. I could do the same exact art if it mm -hmm. was my job at some place right. that I was employed. Yep. So it's 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 all in my head. Mm -hmm. so at some point at Insomniac even though I was constantly dealing with this imposter syndrome, it's like, oh, they're going to figure out I'm not as good as they think I am. I don't know what mm -hmm. I'm doing. I'm faking it. They're going to figure it out. And then they started coming after me of, hey, you're making more money than your job title right. says. It's like, well, you're the ones that gave me the raise. <laughs> <laughs> don't get um, – and, hey, you're doing this and you're doing this. And I get this distinct feeling that – What's that imposter syndrome of, mm -hmm. oh, these young kids coming right out of college can yeah. paint circles around me, can draw circles around me, yeah. and they can 
charge they can hire five of them for what they're paying me mm-hmm. and but that's the fears that that's that imposter syndrome talking except for then insomniac followed through and fired me and replaced me with like four people yeah yeah it's hard also to keep up with the current industry trends as well i mean i know people in your position who would then say right well i don't want to do the technology thing anymore i'm going to go into recruitment directing leading you know where you make less art but you make more decisions well see that was the problem is they they wanted me to do more management kind of stuff and less art it's like no just let me mm. do my art. Let me just. So then you're in a position where you know, with your experience and contacts and, and the things you've done, you know, you can do things for yourself. You know, if mm-hmm. you want to make your own game, your own worlds, your own characters. Um, you know, there's plenty of people I know now who are doing that to get their own TV series pitched or their own game made. And uh, yeah, there's plenty of studios that now we're going back to try and find veterans because you know there's people they've got experience to a certain degree, but then they're they're losing a lot of their leads or seniors and. They're trying to replace those rapidly, but they can't because people are too young or don't have enough experience or haven't shipped any titles. So, yeah, I think it's one of these slow burns. I think if it was if it was something you wanted to get back into, if you were thinking that maybe you know in a couple of years or maybe in the next year or whatever, um, so, yeah, if, if, if the right people, if I, if it was a small team, see that's the other thing that I missed, and that mm-hmm. was the transition, and it's just kind of the way the world works, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, you become successful, so therefore you have to change. As a mm-hmm. company becomes successful, so therefore they have to change. Yeah. It's like Insomniac, mm-hmm. when, when we were small, when they were small, mm-hmm. literally everybody you'd you'd have a, an idea meeting. The mm-hmm. entire company would be in the conference room. Everyone would be sharing their ideas. Everyone had input. Yeah. Everyone felt like the the product, the game, was theirs because mm-hmm. they're all putting this stuff in. And then you got bigger and bigger. And bigger because mm-hmm. I can never like initially literally the entire company would go out to lunch together almost every day. <laughs> and then it got to the point where you would know, you knew people's names, mm-hmm. you knew what they did, but you didn't work directly with them, but you saw them and you knew who they were. You were another department or something. You're another department, but you knew them. You did talk them at lunch. You'd see them. And yeah. then it got to be where you would know their name or you, you would know they were a programmer, but you didn't know their name. Right. Or you knew they were a design, you know, and then you got to where, okay, I know you, you must work here because you're here. I don't yeah. know your name. I don't even know what department you're in. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because there's now 70 people or 100 people in the company versus exactly. 12 or 20. Yeah. Um, and so it shifts there. Um, I would, yeah. So there was a handful of people that I would be interested to go back in. It's frustrating because, like, there's that Astropede game that I pitched at Sega that yeah. I've got the first playable for. Yeah. And I've been in contact with the programmer mm-hmm. and some other people trying to figure out what do we do with it. Yeah. Um, I would love to see it finished. <laughs> of course. Um, and if I didn't, seize up every time i thought about doing something like that again i yeah. would jump on the ball and track the people because i you know I, I i if i hunted around i've got my I have enough connections that i could find people yeah that could get me hooked up with the right people to do whatever needs to be done start your own game studio craig yeah you know but that's that's where I, the great thing even about as you that, say that I can feel the back of my throat. Yeah, it's twinging. It's twinging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's. it's I wanted, that's a wonderful idea. Of course, 
but then yeah, yeah but i think it, the good thing now is that i think the way you would approach it is you would take it at your own pace right and the good thing about the way we've worked now because of covid is remote working so you know you can launch a studio from your your bedroom or your spare room or wherever you are now you, know, you don't need a, a physical office anymore you don't need to yeah. pay people insurances and health you but you, you contractors people freelance working for however much in other countries and the good thing about when my art director employed me is that i'm in scotland so i paid a lot less than guys in la you know around the area that take you know mm-hmm. absorbing amounts of money so there's a whole thing where now online you can basically you know especially because unreal is free it's so accessible you know there's so many things you can do for nothing um yeah there's 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 more and more avenues to make things for almost no money yeah, yeah the, the, you know the problem for me though is once again as i say it's been just the last six months where i've even been able to draw again no of course yeah no and take that at your it's, own pace and, and so it's yeah. it's where i i there's a part of me that wants to know knows i have the skill set knows i have the knowledge and yep. yet the last time i sat down literally just to draw just a random little doodly monster in my sketchbook yep yeah couldn't it, was couldn't, it just it yeah. didn't happen I think it's because you're putting too much pressure on the aspect of what you're drawing and oh, what yeah, it's no, for. I'm way overthinking it. I'm I'm letting my my anxieties and my fears and you know, yeah. that's, that's where if I could find the right people, yeah, you know that not that they always pat me on the oh you're a good little boy you can do this kind of stuff but just yeah. innately you know you know yeah Mark Cerny. Now, Mark can be very difficult to work with. No, of course. People, you, you, at least at least 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you mm. loved Mark or you hated Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I loved working with him. Um, yeah. Because I, I could put up with his little idiosyncrasies because I knew how talented he was. Yeah. Um, and well, it's one of these things I think he's maybe just, you know, you could reach out to people again from that life just to almost connect, just to talk to them as I've, human beings. I've, it doesn't have to be a thing where you're trying to get involved yeah, in. I, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about contacting Mark and just, just meet him for lunch. Of course. Just, Simple just stuff like up. that. Yeah. Just talk to him about, I mean, the, the, one of the things I'll say to Craig is that the way I've kind of dealt with my imposter syndrome and, and the depression in the industry is I've sought counseling. So I've went to a therapist. I've went to somebody mm-hmm. who I've talked to my problems about. And then also journal daily, get my thoughts on a page out of my head somewhere. Because I'm an overthinker, probably like you. Um, so I think the more you can drag out of your head and put on a bit of paper, there's less rolling about at night. Yeah. Um, it definitely has helped me. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, things I, I'm, that... I'm glad to say I'm, I'm off my meds. I mean, in yeah. a good way. I haven't, I haven't yeah, been yeah. on any medication for 10 years now. Okay, um, yeah. Progress. Yeah. There are days where I'm like, okay, maybe I should go back. <laughs> I but, think you have to be very gently, very, you know, and, and I think the whole idea of doing something by yourself is good because then the pressure isn't on from some external source. You are yeah. the only pressure. You're That's, the only thing. Yeah. It's interesting that there, there, there's, you know, co- the group of people, I say, I work at a children's museum now. And I'm, I'm not like organizing. I'm literally on the floor. It's a minimum wage job playing with course. the kids. Yep. And I love it. Um, yeah. And so most of my coworkers are, 20 to 30 years old right um most of them on the younger side there mm-hmm. and um most a lot of them kind of freak out when they find out what i've done for my living it's like oh, i grew up with that um i can imagine yeah actually i had my supervisor to do that one day mm. <laughs> it's like he knew i made games, but he didn't know i made yeah. spyro 
Especially if you've got somebody who came to work at the, at the museum who was a, like a game design student or like an art student trying to work in the games industry, they'd be like, oh my God, like, you know, that would be even more. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but, so I'm always having, you know, people say, hey, oh, we should, you know, we should do something together. Actually, we have a very, very creative group of people right now because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it, it, there's a lot of coming and going, you know, it's, it's a lot mm-hmm. of summer jobs and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and this past, post COVID, Mm-hmm. A bunch of very talented artists and musicians mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. I've been trying to figure out something where we all just get together and just feed off each other's energies. Yeah. For the first time, because I always have people, oh, we should do something together. Oh, I, you know, do some project together. And I'm like, oh, that'd be nice. And I actually think that's like, yes, that would be nice. But I, uh. mm-hmm. recently here, there's, there's, there's one of the young women there that said that and it's something about her personality. Yep or something the conversations mm-hmm. we've had where i'm like i actually want to i think i can do this yeah i definitely need to do it and so um i think actually, it would be a all, all the next day or two she and i are going to get together and yeah and and find some way of collaborating and mixing her art and my, her photography and my painting together to do something because i need to, yeah, I need I to break that wall i need to break that barrier of course. Yeah. I, I, yeah, but what I was saying is I think it'd be a waste for that to kind of go away and for you never to really re-enter and, and make something again. I think it's like me when I played music for a living and I would go on stage and, and, and play music and once you played live, you've always got the bug, right? It never really goes away and you always look at things and think, oh, I would love to get back into doing this or that and you think yourself, you know, it's not the right time, it's not the right thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, like there's always an excuse you come up with, but I think sometimes you just kind of got to force yourself to just push past the initial um which is difficult because of yeah. course you know you know your past is marred in so many things that aren't great for you and you haven't got great memories in, in certain aspects but yeah the future's there you know you never know what would be around the corner if uh if you just keep going you know yeah so it's, it's... yeah and it's it's to say it's 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 doing things like this it's talking to people it's sharing um, and getting that that feedback it, it mm-hmm. offsets all the the paranoia <laughs> yeah of course um and because it, it yeah it helps it, it 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 and it's it's you said something just a few minutes ago mm-hmm. of oh, what did you say it was something along the lines of it would be a shame if I didn't do anything again mm-hmm. and and the way you said it, or in conjunction with what you said, and it, it'd be a shame not just for me, but but for the fans. If I if I look back at my favorite musicians, yeah, my favorite artists, mm-hmm. or movies that all of a sudden it just stopped, yeah, and it's like well, no, the the, the, you know, the fans. It's it's, it's 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 you know it's it's very surreal for me to say I have fans, yeah. Well, you do. I mean, I'm one I, of them. I so. do, <laughs> and it, but it, it it's it's there's a strength in knowing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because 100%. I want to share. I want yep. to give them something because they've given me so much. Yeah. That was that was also we talked about how I almost gave up as well. But apart from the people in the industry that didn't want me to stop, I also had people who were fans of the podcast reach out and say, "Look." I love what you do. Your podcast has changed my life. It's really inspired me. You know, I had a kid, a kid, he was 30, uh, emailed me last year 
and he was like i was really inspired by your journey of like giving up your job and going to chase your dream like i'm turning 30 this year and i've just just handed him a resignation i'm going back to art school and he just emailed me recently and he was like dude i just completed my first year here's all the stuff i've been working on and i was like cheers i was like oh my god like you know and i think i'm nobody but the more and more I go internationally and do events, people keep recognizing me and, and speaking to me about how much the podcast means to them. And it's crazy. That's huge. Cause that's one of the reasons I went into art was my whole family is very artistic and very music musical. Um, but nobody went into it career wise. My oldest right. brother almost did, but he didn't want to risk ruining his hobby by making it a career. Very valid. Yeah. But it was a high school art teacher right. that, was I was doing a project. She says, you know, you could make a living at this. And for some reason, having somebody who wasn't family yep. say that made me think. And so I, so I was heading that direction in college and then it ended up shifting over and decided I wanted to teach because I wanted to give, I wanted to do some to some, for somebody what she had done for me. Right. Was, was to teach and give that encouragement and give that. And yeah. then I got sidetracked into computer graphics and video games that I never taught. Of course. But that same giving, that same encouragement you're giving people, I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you affected somebody's life <laughs> yeah, is huge. I mean, that's – I don't know what our, what our reason for being in this world is, but that's one of them for sure. Yeah. 100 percent. if you feel like you're making a difference to people's lives it's something that you can't explain how incredible it is it's it's weird to think that you know again like you said i'm a person where you know i don't think that i'm anybody in special um you know uh, i don't think that i'm anybody that should be noteworthy or somebody that you know anybody should pay attention to but for some reason people like me for some reason people listen to the podcast and for some reason people email me and it's it's I think it's just I try to be very transparent about my life, about the difficulties and the successes. So, you know, as far as I've been told and telling people about the job I got last year, now I'm quite open that, you know, the depression's hitting again because I've lost my job or I don't have any more work. So, yeah, people almost love that just as much because they struggle as well. And when they're like, well, if you struggle, you know. I'm going to guess, okay, I was having, basically I was, my daughter-in-law, Mm. Was having was basically telling her almost verbatim what you were just saying. Mm. Like, you know, I've I've been at the right place at the right time. I'm really not that good. I'm really this. I'm really that. I'm really that. And she just looks at me and goes bullshit. And it really mm. got me up guard. Like what? She, yeah, she doesn't mince words. Um, she's mm. very she's very open about her feelings and her thoughts, and she's very smart. Yeah, she goes on to explain to me about the mm. whole, you know, um, not slip my brain. Stuff and you know and, and she she called me out on it mm-hmm. you were just beating yourself up there and i was beating myself up with her and i yeah. still do and i have to remind myself like okay what 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 did hannah say Bullshit. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly you know yeah. and if you tell that little voice in your head yeah and so it's because and we don't know like you said, the one guy you were just talking about that contacted you said, hey, I've got my this and I did this and I've changed. I've done all this because of you. How many people do we not know that we have no idea? How many people play, yeah, how many people played Spyro the Dragon and then decided to start drawing? Yeah. You know I mean? You know, and it's it's one of the things that I'm trying to do is is I want to get all my art and get all this stuff and get these stories 
mm. and get them out someplace for the average fan, the average person to yep. see and hear mm-hmm. and, and, and look at it because the fans, mm-hmm. they're, they're hunting this stuff up. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're online looking for the artwork or their, the things they enjoy. They're, they're digging, looking for it and they're finding it. And that's awesome. I'm glad that they're finding it. Mm-hmm. I want that the average person who just played it and maybe yeah. they started drawing or maybe they started doing something because of it, but they, they're not looking for it, but mm-hmm. get it out there where they can be, more people can see it. Yeah. And I mean, it might even be a thing like me where you might start a YouTube channel, right? And just start talking about your experiences. Yeah. Doing art tutorials or showing people your old sketchbooks. And people would love that shit. They would I'll really you, love I, it. Yeah, I've got a friend at work that's mm. got a whole, he's, he's on all social media doing, he's got all these different stuff going on. He goes, I'll help oh, you set up a camera so that you can do a, you know, re- live, you know, sketch kind of thing. Stuff, and, yeah. You know, so, but that's where my fears kick in. Of course. It's like, oh, great idea. Oh. Mm, I think it's a very it's a slow burn. You need to really just incrementally just do little things every so often, and you know, start with a drawing, you know, and then a wee couple of things, and you know, I I can just get everything I've got done, yeah, on a web page of some kind, or even if it's just a Facebook page, just something. Um, Even just start a blog again, or I mean, Art Station is a great thing now. I mean, like it's very easy to upload stuff uh, there and, and run blogs and upload art stuff, and yeah, I mean. There's multiple things. Squarespace yeah, is very available now for making websites. DeviantArt. Yeah. And there's a ton. There's a ton of places you can upload stuff. stuff. Yeah. Um, I would I would say the hardest thing to do is just start and then go for there. It's always the hardest thing is just to push yeah. the first piece out and then just let it go into the ether. So yeah. Okay. Well, I mean that's a great kind of note to end on, Craig. And I don't want to take too much more of your time up, but um, yeah. I mean it's it's been great talking to you. I hope I, I've even... enjoyed this. It's been I've, I've really enjoyed this. I yeah i'm glad um but then if i had anything to close say i would say yeah don't don't give up um people done it for me almost a week ago and i'm going to do it for you now saying that we love your art we love what you've done in the past you're a legend in the industry uh don't fade away i think you've got a lot more to offer so yeah keep the faith well thank you Um, that that really it really does help it really is getting me out of this Yeah. malaise i've been in for the last 10 years 15 years so but burnout's like that it can take a long time to repair the process so yeah. it's very 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 out so okay guys if you've listened to this point uh thanks very much um i hope you enjoyed it um i hope you enjoyed the ramblings um i'm sure there's <laughs> something of, of of fact or fiction or, or, or just inspiration in there and uh yeah if you want to help the podcast check us out on youtube we have a video version there you can see our beautiful faces um you've also got uh, uh, your usual podcast as well so we're on itunes spotify google Podcasts, all that kind of stuff um if you want to listen to us and yeah that's pretty much it um any kind of questions or any kind of uh, interest for craig you can leave comments down below um i'll leave his details as well for some of his websites or any other social media he has at the time um and yeah that's that's about it um thanks to craig for coming on thanks to you guys for listening and uh we'll see you in the next episode bye guys thank you